Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back to Recovery, sort of. This is Jason. I'm a guy in medium to long-term recovery. <laughs> and my name's Billy. I'm a person in recovery. Uh, that means I've been abstinent from any illegal substances since August 23rd of 2000. Oh, man. And that's a, a long damn time for mm-hmm. uh, for people like us who, who tended to do this every day and think about it every minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're here super goddamn early on a Sunday morning, and of course it's super early on the Sunday morning where the clocks went forward and we lost an hour of sleep, so it's even earlier. Um, and, and all that is due to the fact uh, that my son had a basketball tournament and he's got a game later on today. So uh, to, to delve into that a little bit, this basketball tournament, we've known about it for a couple of weeks. My my wife does a lot of the communication with the different sports coaches, and I don't necessarily know that that's I don't know why. Like I I, I guess just because she has more of the time to take them places, and I have the odder schedule where I'm working, but she does most of the communication, and and I never like it because for some reason my wife doesn't do well with passing on the information to me. Right. I'm like a more anal person, I guess, that some people would point out. Like if you send me a text message and say, hey, there's this game Friday at 345 p.m. at this location, I'm putting every detail in my phone calendar immediately. <laughs> right. And my phone calendar is linked to hers, so she'll definitely see it. And I'll probably after that still shoot her all the information in a text. Hey, heads up. Just put this on the calendar Friday, 345 <laughs> at this location. Right. Because I'm. I'm just one of those people that doesn't like to be miscommunicated to. And so I really go out of my way to like make sure people understand the information I'm giving them. Um, and so we struggle in that area. Frequently, she'll get information about sporting events and, and not it's not a criticism of her. There's a lot of going on in life and it's not her specialty. Right. It's not something that really bothers her. So she'll say, oh, I'll put this on the calendar as soon as I'm done doing whatever it is I'm doing right now. And that doesn't happen. Or I'll tell Jason about it, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't happen. And so we've known about the tournament, but I don't know specifically what day she got sent the bracket that actually had the times of the games and what would happen. Not that that told us a lot because it's, you know, you play it one time if you win, you play it a different time if you lose. But I would have had some concept of the idea of what times I would have been busy this weekend, possibly. Um, And so... When she told me yesterday, I was at work, they had played two games, they won one, lost one, and she's like, oh, their next game is tomorrow at 10, and I'm like, fuck, right? Like, I'd like to show up for my son at his tournament, that's usually when we're recording, I shot Billy a message, and so we're working all day on what the best time is to try to work around this, to record, 
early as hell or late as hell. <laughs> and I'm like still writing a paper for school that's due today. And I'm like, shit, I got to get this done. And anyway, all that goes on. We finally decide I'm like, screw it. I'll, I'll give up some sleep. It's more important to be at my son's game. And so that's what I decide, right? I'm going to do this right thing. I'm going to get up super goddamn early and we're going to go to this. We're going to do the recording. Then I'll go to his game at 10. And so we're, we're going to pick up our groceries last night, you know, blessings of the world. We do the online grocery order and we're driving to pick them up before we even go to drive. My wife is like, Hey, do you want me to stay here and put the baby to bed? Uh, and I was like, not really. I'd love for you to go with me and spend some time with me bad decision right there <laughs> right so she comes we bring the baby my son's in the car and she says i i really wish you wouldn't change your plans i hate when you change your plans and i'm like why and she's like well um you know it could be there's no minimum playing time requirement for this tournament it could be that you changed your whole plans and you show up at this game and he doesn't even get in the game and i'm like really I'm like, well, how long did he play today? And she's like, a minute and a half. Hmm. And I almost lost my fucking mind, honestly. I was <laughs> like, really? Like, why are we going to this? And look, I'm not, I don't know. So this is where it gets weird. So I was not the star player at all times in every sport when I was younger, right? In some sports, I was pretty good at it. And I was probably never going to come out of the game because I was good at it, right? There was other sports like baseball. I was really not good. It was not the guy you were going to put up to bat if you needed a hit, right? And I always felt shittier playing because I wasn't playing, right? I, I felt shittier and more ashamed being the guy on the bench knowing that everybody's watching me be on the bench because I'm not the player that they want in there. And it hurt my feelings. And so I, we get in this argument of she's like, oh, well, you got to teach these values, these team values. You show up for your team in case they need you. And I'm like, they don't fucking need him. <laughs> he's he's one of the younger players on the team. He's never played basketball before. He's not very good. Like we, we all know this. This isn't some shock. The team is not going to put him in. In fact, the only thing that might happen is the team might feel guilty and then put him in and then lose because of it. Like I've been on teams that we lost because we had to play players that should not have ever been in the game and they got beat and people scored goals on them. Right. Yeah. So I'm just having this debate and listen, 10 years ago, I completely agree with her. You signed up for a commitment and it's really important and, and that's what you do. And that's what builds character. I believe that that's the information I was given. I have like, my life is basically spent reevaluating all information that was given to me and trying to figure out if it has any credence anymore. Like, is there really a purpose to this? Do I really believe this is doing something? And that's where I'm at with this. I don't. During a season, sure, he's showing up, he's, he's playing some in the games, he's at the practices, he's doing something and getting better, right? But this end of the season tournament where there is no more practices and he's basically just going to sit on the bench unless they're winning by a lot or losing by a lot, and maybe not even if they're losing by a lot, what is the purpose of putting him in? And so that's the argument we're having. And I'm trying to ask her, what is your argument based on? Like, what are you basing this argument on that he's going to get these, these great personal personality traits and values out of this? And her, her answer is basically the way she feels. 
And I'm like, this is the same argument everybody in politics seems to have. Like, it's never about any kind of research or doing what's best for the person. It's just, this is how I feel. Um, and so finally, thank God, uh, we were able to catch ourselves in this argument a little bit. And we kind of just asked my son and, and he said, he agreed. He feels bad about going and sitting there and being bored out of his mind, doing nothing. He does care about his team, but it's like, if he's not going to play, why? And so I was, I don't know. It was very frustrating. Uh, I, I wish I don't understand why I couldn't have been told that he only played a minute and a half earlier in the day so that I maybe could have reevaluated and made a different decision. Cause honestly, if he's not going to play today, I don't see a big point in showing up and I didn't need to be here uh, two hours early to record this. And what do you think? Do you really get values from these type of things or? Um, so for me personally, like I only have what I would call anecdotal evidence it's not based on any research so maybe this is feelings i don't know maybe i'm siding with your wife on feelings I figured you would. <laughs> yeah. That's why I brought it up. so uh when i was a kid i was always very athletic i always played a ton of sports and i i wouldn't say i was the star but i wasn't a kid that sat the bench very much i didn't have that experience till i got older so when i got older in recovery um, I had a sponsor that got me involved with some recovery softball when I was 35, probably, you know, 30 some years old. I hadn't played any kind of sports in 15 years, you know, whatever, since high school and uh, had never really played softball or slow pitch softball, knew nothing about it. But anyway, I just thought, oh, I'm athletic. I'll be fine. And and I went out there and I was OK, but I definitely wasn't good. And uh, I pretty much ended up being sort of a bench player. Um, but I still went because at the time it had a lot more to do with my relationship with my sponsor. And as a person in recovery, you know, it was building those relationships. Just it, it was a weird thing of years of not like being on a team and feeling a part of something and whatever. But as an adult, that was a good experience, just being a part of a team and having those relationships and building some friendships. And I stayed playing softball for seven or eight years. Can't remember how many years. And of course, um, I always thought like, oh, I'll be better than a bench player, you know, and it never really happened that much. Hmm. But what ended up happening was I had a couple years where I became a really valuable bench player for different reasons. And I actually kind of won MVP of the team one year, just being a bench player. And the reason was, you know, it wasn't necessarily based on specific talent. It had to do with my attitude, my approach to going in. And I viewed it probably much like your wife did. I was raised with those values and I teach my kids, hey, we signed up for a commitment here. We're, you know, we wanted to do this. So we got to be all in, you know, right. and I would just show up and do whatever. And I got, I, I, my skills got a lot better because I was playing regularly and doing some stuff, but you know, maybe this happens in kids sports, but I know it happened with us as adults. Like people were missing all the time, you know, this guy would be out there and this guy would be out there. And it got to a point where I could fill in and not be a detriment to the team where I would, I could fill in at different positions wherever I was needed and still be good. And we still, and we had a good team. We won, four championships in five years, you know, this league had championships and playoffs and all that stuff. And we were a good team. 
And I became a really valuable member of a good team for the fact that I would fill in. I could show up. I could pinch hit when they needed me to pinch hit. I was a fast runner, so I could pinch run for old fucking guys where their (laughs) knees were all blown out and shit. You know, I could go in and run. I understood the fundamentals of the game. And all that just had to do with showing up that first couple years, being kind of on the bench, not getting all that playing time, but developing those relationships and developing skills over time. And that's very much what she, you know, the same kind of anecdote. She talked about how uh, she played in some leagues for softball when she was younger and and didn't even get to bat in a lot of games because she was only playing two innings a game because she was one of the younger kids. But she sat through that and this, that and the other. Um, And what but she continued to say and kind of like so you're an adult at this point. So you're choosing to do this. And she continued to say, like, you know, my parents didn't even have to make me, I wanted to go to these things to do this. And I'm like, well, I think you're proving my point for me. Like, nobody had to force you to have that kind of mentality. You were already born with it, right? We're not going to teach our kids. I don't think I can really do this to my kid. And so she was, I don't know, it got into, you know, as all arguments between couples do, it got into (laughs) like the insanity of let's take this to the extreme. Right. Oh, so you could just walk out on your family if they're bad for you? And I'm like, yeah, that's the belief of my profession, actually. Uh, <laughs> right, that's, that's what you should That's exactly do. <laughs> what we teach. If you right. do what is healthiest for you, yes, you show up for the team that you're committed to until it no longer serves your purpose for you. Like, if it's detrimental to your life, then why the fuck would you keep doing it, right? Is showing up for basketball today detrimental to his life? No, but is it very good for I mean, well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe him not feeling good about himself, maybe this amplifies that in front of his peers, right? Like he already thinks, oh, I'm just not very good at life as a core belief. And now, well, it's going to be expressed in front of an entire audience of people who watch me not even get a chance to play, right? So I don't, I don't know, but we got home, we're putting away groceries, and he's standing there eating while the rest of the family's putting away groceries, right? And my wife's standing next to him. And no, she's not really looking at him. But I feel like this is a common thing in our house that because he's a little younger, he gets away with not doing the work that the family's doing, right? The 14-year-olds are both putting groceries away. I'm putting groceries away. I don't think my wife was either. So maybe that's where it <laughs> yeah, comes right. from, right? But I, I'm like... <clears throat> You just told me five minutes ago, we're arguing in the car, that it was important to show up for the team. How come you don't make him show up for the family team, right? Like, this is the kind of shit that pisses me off. How can we have this view that's so hardened and stubborn of he must show up for this basketball team? Why not show up for the family? That's what the fuck to me is important. Like, show up here and help out with your chores and and do that kind of stuff. Not show up for a basketball team that's really not about anything. Yeah, and does he... Uh, so, I mean, you said you asked him, like, does he like basketball? Does he does he want to play basketball? He did not want to play at all because he was scared because he's never played before and he doesn't want to go out there and be bad, right? right. Um, so we practiced with him. We got him to sign up. We convinced him, hey, we probably forced him to play all together. Uh, hey, let's do this. And he's gotten better. He's not by any means good for his age level at this point, right? He's still like the younger age of the league anyway. And he's, he's a smaller dude. So he's not like out there crushing people and dunking on them or anything, but he's, he's much better than he was before the season started, which was all I ever hoped for, right? Like go out and play and learn some of the game. Um, And the reason I asked, so we went through that with, with my son with baseball, because he's 
not, he'll never listen to this, I hope. So he's <laughs> not overly athletic. He's, you know, just, he doesn't have natural inclinations for athletic things. He's a little bit clumsy, a little bit sort of awkward in his movements. Um, <clears throat> and we went through that with his first couple of years in baseball. And it was probably three years ago, I think, that he was the kid that was in the outfield, you know, sort of everybody hoping they don't really hit the ball that way. Cause if they hit it out there, he definitely wasn't going to catch it in the air and hopefully it wasn't going to just bounce right by him while he watched it. You know, is that right. what happens when kids are seven or eight, you know, first year playing baseball, kind of still scared of the ball. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't one of the better kids. And I didn't know how to deal. Like that wasn't an experience I ever had. So I didn't know how to deal with that quite so much, but, you know, I use that as an opportunity to say, because he would say like, hey, I want to pitch sometimes and I want to play infield and I want to do this and that. I'm like, dude, you got to work then. I said, I don't want to sound mean, but they're not going to put you in positions that you can't play or that you might get hurt. Like, you know, sticking you in the infield or putting you somewhere where somebody might hit a ball at you that you're going to get hurt. They're not going to do that. You got to be able to catch. You got to be able to throw. And you haven't been willing to put in the work to get better. Um, and I based that off of, I had asked him, Hey, do you want to go out and have a catch? Do you want to work on this? He would go out, he would bitch and complain the whole time that he didn't want to be out there doing it. So I'd be like, fine, I'm not going to make you. But then the result of that season was you're the kid that stands in the fucking outfield. It doesn't get many balls hit to you and you don't get to do all these things that you want to do. So right. I felt like I handled that somewhat well. I'm sure I could have handled it better than I did at the time, but in <laughs> hindsight, I did well in that trying to teach him that lesson. Like, look, don't give up on this because it's hard or you're not naturally good at it. Um, if you are having fun, if you like it, if you like baseball, we can work on it and you'll get better. And, you know, if you don't like baseball, then we'll quit. It's no big right. deal. Um, but he liked it and he stuck with it. And so finally now it's been a couple years. He's worked on some things. He's been willing to work on some things and he's gotten better and he's seen improvements. And so now, this year was the very first year where he's been asking about baseball since Christmas. You know what I mean? Hey, when's baseball coming up? When, you know, what? when's the season start? Wait, he's really excited. Yeah, he's really excited and anxious to get out there and play. And, like, we've already had a couple times where we've been out having a catch, you know, on some of these warmer days and, right. you know, talking about getting to the batting cage, and he's excited about it. But that that didn't come with his first couple of years playing the sport. You know, it it – and I felt like that was a good lesson for him to learn. Like, hey, not everything in life comes easily to you, but it doesn't mean you just give up and quit. Well, and I guess the interesting question about all this is, is that a lesson he learned or is that just who he was going to be? And that's what came out of your experience with it. Like you found out, oh, hey, that's who he is. He's the guy who wants to work a little bit to have fun at baseball. Like, I don't know that we have the ability to really teach these lessons. So this is what I'm learning more and more that I believe, and I don't know if it's true or not, but this is what I believe. We have these experiences in our lives, and we take credit for most of the shit that goes on, right? Oh, I didn't uh, overeat at dinner, and I stayed away from snacks all week and ate healthy. I have good willpower, right? Oh, my kid learned this lesson. I taught him something positive. And I just really don't think we, we're able to do these things. I think these are things that are happening for whatever reason. And we we like to assign some kind of credit and super ability to us 
uh, to feel good about it. And, I, and that's, I guess, where I'm at with it all. I don't know that your son, your son might have done that without you saying anything, right? Or, uh, so I, I don't know. I try to teach my kids all the time, like, hey, if you want to play these positions better, you want to pitch, you want to do this, you got to go out and practice, right? And what I've seen from them, do they go out sporadically once every two to three weeks and have a catch? Sure. Do they actually go out and practice in a way that would be meaningful and get them to the place they want to be? Absolutely not, because it's more important to them to spend six hours on Snapchat and Instagram and, and Fortnite, right? That's just what they would rather do. And that's fine with me. I'm not mad about it. Maybe they'll be a, a gamer and a YouTube star and make millions of dollars. I have no idea, right? I'm not here to judge it if that's what they want. I just, I don't know that these, I don't know that we can take credit for all the things we thought we took credit for. Well, immediately, I think, you know, kids that have bad parents, right? <laughs> and they're, I mean, as a therapy person, you got to see the detrimental effects of bad parenting versus good parenting. So that's tricky with the whole bad and good concept, right? Um, what I will say is that parents who don't provide positive routines can can definitely hurt their children. People who don't provide uh, positive attachment styles, which is uh, just being uh, showing up and being present for your kid, that can do a lot of damage. Um, true, true neglect and abuse. Sure, those things really are doing some some things to kids in the way they grow up and and the way their brains form. Um, but the decisions of actually being able to teach them anything, I think I'm pretty sure the research shows that personality is way more goddamn genetic than it is anything we give to them. Um, and so the people who have the personalities that I want to show up for my team, you know, even if I'm not playing all the time, I, I don't think that really has anything to do with values that their parents instilled, even though I think probably parents since the beginning of time have been taking credit for giving that to their kids. But so do you think the parents that are supposedly we look at and say good parents that have uh, kids who fall into drug addiction, uh, do you think their parents didn't try to teach them the same exact lessons? Um. Well, I guess I can't say it's all inclusive. Like, I don't think you can over parent trauma in people's life or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so I was you know, sexually abused as a kid, not by my parents, by someone else. Right. And I don't know that any amount of parenting could have overcome that trauma. Cause it wasn't like I went to them and told them, I didn't tell them or anything. They didn't know. And so, you know, had I told them, could they have done something differently in my life to help me deal with that in a more positive way? I believe absolutely. You know what I mean? Like right. I believe they could have had influence over that situation. Now, how much and how, if that means I would have not been an addict, you know, I can't say that, but. Well, and this is where the anecdotal evidence that we all provide, <laughs> we all speak from the realm of our personal experience, which I don't think is a terrible idea. Uh, I think it's a good starting point to, to start learning things. And many understandings of personality, right, have come through different psychologists and, and people who've had understandings of their own experience and then tried to you know, put that into the world and see if it made sense. So it's, it's hugely useful to start there. Um, but I would say my experience is I had a father who tried to instill all those exact same values that you're talking about instilling in your son. And, and my wife's talking about instilling in our son and that shit didn't work. Right. Sounded good. Yeah. Show up for your team, be there at every game, sit there. And what ended up happening was I felt 
worse about myself and I ended up getting high over it. Like, so I don't know that, I just don't know that we have the control we think we do. So there's a concept and and I I don't want to delve too much longer into this topic really, but there's a concept of like our DNA is there, right? But it doesn't just come out as DNA expression. There's also epigenetics, which is like the covering over top of the DNA that sort of depending on what happens with the covering, which is sort of the things that happen in our environment, environment, it makes the DNA express itself slightly different. And I guess that's what I'm going for here. Could, uh, you know, if you do not foster, hey, show up for your team and a kid who generally could do that, maybe he doesn't show up for this family later in life. But I don't think you're going to take a kid who can't show up for his family later in life and force him to go, you know, to all these team events and make something different out of them. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to show up for the team. I'm not saying any of these things are bad concepts or that there's a right or wrong. I just think sometimes we take it to the extreme. I don't think he's going to be very useful at the game today is what I'm generally getting at. And I don't want him to feel worse about himself because he sits on the bench and just watches his team play. Right. And so I don't, I I mean, me personally, like I look at that as like, okay, so what if it was me in this situation, what I would do or what I did in the situation with my son is you still try to build them up. Like, Hey, you're, you're learning, you know what I mean? You're at a stage in your life where you're not perfect and that's completely okay. We still love you. You still have value, you know, so what? You're not fucking good at basketball. Like, is that a big deal? You should be out there hopefully having fun, hopefully learning, enjoying, you know, we just have to get through this. If you don't like it, we don't ever have to do this again, but you know, um, and there was another thing and I, well, and that's the kind of tricky part. Yeah. Why you think about that. That's the kind of tricky part is I, I did have this conversation with him last night. Like we talked about, he wasn't sure whether he wanted to go or not. And so we had a conversation about that. Right. And honestly, in, in the long run, at the end of the day, last night, I talked him into and guided him to let's go. Right. right? So I can sit here and tell you, I argued the opposite <laughs> all, right. all day. And then at the end, I talked him into going. Right. right. And but so I what uh, oh, go, ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. Do you think those are values that you have now, like this commitment to things or, you know, those values that you say you didn't have as a kid? Do you feel like they're values that you have in your life now that you practice or? So I would say if it was me, if this was my tournament and my team, right, at this point in time in my life and I saw what happened yesterday and how it went. I would probably not feel obligated to show up today. Would I probably show up to cheer my team on just because I'd probably be playing with guys I like? Sure. Why the fuck not? Right. I don't have anything better to do. But looking at it as if something came up that was way more interesting and I know they don't need me, I'm probably going to text them and be like, hey, look, I know you guys don't really need me. I don't I don't. I don't even want you to feel guilty about me not playing because there is some of that for the coaches, I'm sure. Oh, God, we didn't put that boy in, right? I know they feel guilty about that shit later. Uh, why would I do that to them? Why would I put them in a shittier situation when I'm really, if they do put me in, I'm harming the team, right? But we, so my son and I talked about, we talked about how, you know, he plays a, a pretty good defense for this being his first year. And and that's what he, you know, maybe they will need him to go in and play some good defense and frustrate the other team's star player. Like that's a good tactic in basketball. Annoy their star player by having some little guy all the fuck over him all game, right? Um, and, but I think that's the point I'm trying to get at with you don't need to be there is I don't give a fuck if you're good at basketball 
Teach him to matter. be the foul out hack guy. Just well, going I, I <laughs> but it was basically like, look, I don't, that's my point. I don't need you to go to this tournament and be a star to be anything. I don't right. give a fuck, dude. I love you. Whether you're good at basketball is stupid. Like that's some other shit. Are you having fun? And if you're sitting on the fucking bench the entire game, you're not having fun. Right. So why are we doing this? What is the point? It's not like there's another game next week and you guys are going to practice during the week and you're going to gain some skills. You're just showing up to sit on a fucking bench and at 11 years old, who wants to do that? Yeah. But is there, is, is commitment a spiritual principle? I mean, is that a, but what's he committed to at this point? Committed to show up for a team that he knows is not going to put him in. Like that doesn't like, why would I show up for, am I supposed to show up and be committed to a girlfriend that constantly cheats on me and doesn't give me what I need in the relationship that doesn't show up for the, my needs. Why? Well, I and think there's a I, difference where, where there's, is, I mean, when you're putting yourself in an abusive situation, that's a little different. Okay, but what is this? And this is where exactly where harmful, the argument yeah. got. Where is the, the joy in showing up for a team that is no longer needs you, right? They've, they've He's served his purpose for them. He played during the season. This is like the tournament at the end. I don't know that this is hmm. beneficial to him anymore. I, I really don't. And I don't know that it's harmful or helpful. And this is where there was the argument right there, there's right. no real answer definitely an interesting argument mm. i don't know anymore but i, I kind of lean towards this might be not good for you to show up for something that's no longer giving you what you're supposed to get out of it you're supposed to get basketball out of it not bench sitting right 101 i don't know mm. so anyway we've talked about that way too long <laughs> i'm gonna move on uh and let you take over you had a, a thing about relapse and doing some positive stuff in your life and not about you relapsing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, this week I was reflecting back on, you know, I've been doing some healthy things in my life for a while. Um, you know, I've been committed to getting up in the morning, going to the gym. I've been meditating every day, you know, pretty consistently for a few months now. Um, I've been more committed to my recovery, making meetings a little more regularly, like doing a lot of the maintenance things in life, you know, that I need to, to be healthy, uh, mentally and spiritually healthy. Um, I've seen and like witnessed benefits in my life to situations that have come up recently and been like, man, you know, things are going really well. I really am having a better approach to life and problems and my stress level and all these things are improvements. Um, and yet I still find it super hard to stay committed to those things. Like it's so easy to just be like, this is fucking work and it's too hard and it's not worth it, you know, and I'm trying to talk myself out of doing these things. And it sort of, you know, brought up in me that idea of like relapsing people in recovery. Like you get in recovery and you start doing all these positive things and you see people and they fucking stop using and they get, you know, a place and they get a job. And they might get in a relationship and everything's going well. And what I was sort of recognizing it was the, the, novelness of doing something new you know the the how good it feels like when you first start going to the gym it's like man i'm doing this good thing and it feels good that i'm doing something good for myself and you start to see a few results you know starting to see some muscles popping up in places right. and starting to be like yeah you know i'm <laughs> fucking feeling this i'm seeing it there's all this kind of you know external rewards or stimulus to it but now that I've been doing it a few months, like the muscles aren't really growing faster. You know, mm. it's like I'm not noticing these results anymore. And, and the same thing that happens in recovery. It's like the immediate growth a lot of time comes right away. 
you know, or I don't say the immediate growth, the immediate benefits, you know, right. all of a sudden I don't have to steal every day to survive. All of a sudden I don't have to lie to everyone that I know. You get a pay raise when you're not giving the drug guy all your yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like the, the consistency, you know, of the work. You still have to have the consistency in the work, but you're not shooting back up to the top or, you know, you're not experiencing all these great new rewards right away. So maybe it doesn't plateau, but it definitely slows down on the slope right. of how quickly you go. And uh, that's when it's so easy to give up on things. You know, mm. it's so hard to stay committed, you know, long term. Um, but like in this case, you know, I, I build off my recovery and I say, Hey, you know, I remember in my life, like recoveries like that. And I'll just try to stick with it, you know, as long as I can and, and keep doing it just a day at a time. Like I take those recovery concepts and put them into these things that I'm doing that are positive. And maybe I won't go to the gym for the rest of my life. Maybe I won't meditate on a regular basis for the rest of my life, but I can do it today. You know, today's the day that matters and I'm going to show up and do it. Mm. Um, but it, it brought up that, you know, idea of relapse and, and why people sort of relapse and how easy it is to fall into that. Um, are there things that we can do that we can help people? Cause we all, you know, I see it. I see it in people that are in my home group oh, yeah. and you know, it's weird because not all of them use, you know, that, that isn't always the end result. Um, but you definitely see struggles and hardships and, and life get difficult for people. And, you know, my experience is the same as with myself. No amount of people telling me how much I need to meditate ever made me meditate. You know, right. it wasn't until I started doing it for myself and, and almost that third step, you know, it wasn't until I made that commitment for myself, you know, that, that I really committed to it. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it just brought up that idea of relapse and, and we see that over and over and over again in recovery. And if there's things we can do to kind of help people avoid that. All right. Yeah. So let's uh, take a quick break for our ad and then we'll come back and talk more about that. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. So back on the topic, I, I think the question is somewhat, can we help people avoid relapse? Um, and I heard a lot of what you said. I, I think I've lived part of what you said, and I've watched a whole lot of people live it for sure that <clears throat> we come into the program uh, or recovery in general. We, we have all these great benefits immediately. Maybe we even work a few steps and get a few more benefits or just learn some new things. And then we start to work towards what we've termed social acceptability, even though I don't think that's generally our goal in our mind, but we just want things in life, right? The right. things we've always seen people do that we could never do. I could never get a place to live when I was using. I could never really get a a steady relationship when I was using all these type of things. I definitely couldn't hold a job when I was using. And so in recovery, I chased all these, the whole American dream, man. I, I wanted the house, the cars, the wife, the kids, the picket fence. Maybe um, I didn't get the picket. Oh, no, I guess I did have a picket fence. It just wasn't right out in front of my house. <laughs> but so I worked towards all these things. And 
you know, through time I got them and, and not even just the job, the career, right? The one where I felt like I could stay there and make a living and the house, me and my wife each had a vehicle. We even had a work vehicle on top of that. We were like living the dream, the, the three kids. It was like, fuck, here we are. I've arrived. And then what? <clears throat> like I had reached all these goals and I, and I didn't have anything else to work towards, honestly. Um, and so I, I'm always cautious of watching people's lives and how they do this. And I know this isn't the only way, like this was more of a, a overtime sort of thing that led to what could have been relapse. It, it ended up not being, thank God, but I definitely watch people's lives for when they get and attain these goals back, these, you know, these social acceptability goals, because then it seems that people do hit kind of a, a wall of like, well, well now what the fuck do I do? Right. Can we stay clean without spiritual principles? So I, it wasn't that I wasn't working spiritual principles. What was happening was I had a focus though, right? I had a purpose in life, attain these specific things. Not in a negative way, right? I wasn't trying to attain the house to impress anybody. It was just what I wanted. And I had goals and a purpose. And when I ran out of that, I lost purpose. Now, thankfully, that's been able to be repurposed into a spiritual type life that means something to me. But if it doesn't get repurposed somewhere and we don't have a focus or purpose in our life, I think we're in high danger of, of being complacent and, and going backwards more to your question, can we do anything about that? I mean, we talk about being each other's eyes and ears. And if you've been in a program and you're in recovery, you have seen somebody not living recovery for sure in the program clean, right? Mm -hmm. And we generally know where that leads, what happens at the end of that road. Does it happen every time? No, some people just stay clean and miserable, but it, you know, frequently it does happen that relapse. And I hear people share meetings where they're like, oh, you got to focus. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to hit meetings. You got to stay open minded. And I'm like, I'm not sure people are fucking capable of that until they are capable of that. And I don't know that any amount of me telling them or judging them or shaming them is going to make them any more ready to stay clean and recover. And so that's kind of where I'm at. What's your what's your take on that? And yeah, so I'm not I don't think people listen until they're ready to listen. I mean, I think that's pretty true. We see that over and over and over again. I guess where I think of it for myself personally is is my ap personal approach to people in recovery, maybe people that are my friends or people that I'm close with as you see them go down these paths. Like is it is it really healthy or beneficial to call them out on those mm. things? Hey, I really see you kind of slipping up or you haven't been at the home group, you know. Um, making those calls. Hey, I'm really worried about you. Like, do those things matter? Um, you know, maybe guys that we sponsor, like, should we be calling our sponsees saying, hey, you haven't called me in a while. You haven't, you know, I've always in the past been of the belief that no, you know, mm. I can't force someone into recovery or, or I can't force them to do the work necessary. It's up to them and whatever. Right. But now I know you know, I do have some influence and sway and it, there's a possibility that reaching out, you know, could be that thing that lets people know that, Hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe they're going through some depression or some personal stuff or a personal issue at home that they don't feel comfortable talking to people about. And that phone call just lets them know like, wow, there are people that care. There are people that are looking out for me. There are, you know, I, I do matter. And right. that 
you know, us taking a little bit of action just to reach out to people could be that thing that makes them, helps them make the next right decision rather than the next right, wrong, wrong decision, (laughs) the next right, wrong decision. (laughs) All the same relative. Um, So no, I agree with you. I would say I tend to lean towards the side of reaching out. Um, My general kind of back of my head rule of thumb is that a sponsee needs to establish reaching out on their own, right? And once they've established a pattern of they regularly reach out to me, if I don't hear from them within that kind of pattern, I will reach out to them for sure. Usually it's more informal. It's through a text. Hey, how you been? Haven't seen you for a minute, whatever. Um, But I, I will reach out. I've generally always believed in having a person in the home group that has a list of everybody's phone numbers. And when they don't show up for home group on any given night, texting them, Hey, everything. Okay. How you doing? Right. Missed you tonight. Whatever we, we say um, to not offend somebody. Cause I know it can be offensive when you don't make it for a night and you know, Oh my God, they think I'm relapsing just cause yeah, I didn't right. come tonight. Uh, no, we're just concerned. Um, my home group right now, I think we are lacking that. And it's uh, it's tough to get a gauge on because the members seem to turn over so quickly. Um, it's hard to really grasp, but, um, but it is important to me. I, I think it is crucial. Now, I don't know that it truly has any benefit to stopping a relapse whatsoever. My thinking behind it is I don't really give a fuck if it stops the relapse. I want them to know I care. Even if they do relapse, I want them to know I care and where I will still care when they come back. Okay. Like, that's kind of my goal with it. Like, I just want you to know that you matter. It doesn't matter if that's before or after you relapse. It matters. And hopefully that inspires you to think that maybe you matter, too, and want to come back and do something about it. Yeah. And some of this spurs from I saw a kind of Facebook post that, you know, it, it challenged my old belief or, or challenged something that I say a lot. But it was, you know, the, the post went something like, Stop telling people that it's okay to relapse because people are fucking dying, you know, and it's true. You know, people are dying at alarming rates nowadays with fentanyl and the amount of overdose deaths. And you see it, you know, skyrocketing all around the country. And in the past, you know, it's always kind of been like, hey, you relapse. That's a part of recovery. They talk about it in our literature. It's a normal thing that happens. It's okay. And it's like, wow, is that? you know, detrimental, like, is that maybe not the best advice to be telling people? I, I certainly don't think fucking beating them up and criticizing them for it's the right approach, but sort of, you know, is, is minimizing it or glossing over it or making it be like, Oh, it's no big deal. It's fine. You know, uh, maybe that's the wrong approach too. You know, <laughs> like, Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there is a right approach to that. I mean, I don't, so I've heard people say that so many times and that, that share for sure of, Oh, it's not okay to relapse. Let's stop telling people that. And I have never, ever once felt like we truly tell anybody it's okay to relapse. We say, hey, welcome back. It's great that you're here. Don't specifically spend a lot of time feeling shameful about that relapse, right? Was it okay? Fuck no, it sucks. Could Did, did it possibly teach you something? Yeah. I know my relapse for sure uh, taught me what I needed to know to stay here this time. Would I have stayed here without it? No. Does that make it part of my recovery? I don't know. It definitely makes it a learning lesson in my life. Uh, does it, I, I can't label it good or bad. I guess I needed it, right? I wouldn't be here without it. So I don't know. Uh, 
But I've never heard anybody say, oh, man, that's great. You fucking relapsed. They're like, come on. Like, maybe you can do it again next week. Like, I, that just seems a little ridiculous to me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's and it's just, again, I find in recovery, I get locked into these old beliefs that I've held on to for 15, 18, you know, years now. And then one little thing will pop up. And, and I do think it's a result of, of seeing, you know, just how many people are dying and young people mm-hmm. dying and and the impact of, of addiction on the community is like, fuck, you know, maybe we do need to have this sort of uh, more open-minded approach to some of these things. And so I try not to stay locked into old ideas that I'm not even quite sure where they come from. You well, know? and this is exactly what I was talking about with the first segment today was that I try to reevaluate all my old ideas because most of them come from my father and mother, right? I'm not sure where they got them from. And I'm not sure they have any basis in anything. Much of what I've learned about what they said was like old wives tales that people just pass <laughs> right. from generation to generation. Right. So yeah. I don't want to just automatically. And, and even if their information was great and super grounded, I still want to reevaluate and try it for myself and see how it feels for me. Right. Even if everybody in my life tells me that the sweater looks nice on me, if I put it on and the shit itches my arms, I don't want to fucking wear it. Right. I got to do what's good for my life. And so I need to reevaluate everything with new eyes. And that's my goal in life. And look, I don't always do it. I live many things in my life that are just programmed into me. And I'm like, oh, this is just the right fucking way. It's what you do. Right. But I do when I have the opportunity want to reevaluate as often as possible because I change and I grow and I and I look at the world different. Um, and I'm not trying to go back to that first segment. We killed that one already. Uh, one thing I will say, and I'll put you right on the spot now. What would you do if you saw me in relapse mode? What would you say to me? I, I don't know. I mean, my, and this is again, why I'm challenging myself. So my inclination now is to, to reach out, but in subtle ways, because I never want to be like offensive or, right. you know, Hey, what's going on? You want to go to a meeting, you know, something like that. Um, and I think a lot of that personally has to do with, you know, the uncomfortability that I have with kind of calling people out on shit or, Mm -hmm. or worried about hurting someone's feelings or worried about saying something that, you know, they might get offended by. Like Mm -hmm. I'm really sensitive to those kind of things. So I'm always trying to dance on this line of, I don't want to say anything that might even be construed as being offensive to, to people that I care about, you know, to people that I'm close with. Um, so yeah it would probably be that and then if you didn't really respond or kind of blew me off a couple times if i had to look at my track record the truth is i would probably go to my wife and say oh that sucks i don't know what jason's going through he's not really talking to me anymore i'm thinking mm. and that would be that i mean wow. that's what's happened with my friends in the past you know probably the there was one person that i reached out to more than anyone else um, and again, some of this comes from old, what I felt was like recovery lessons. Like, you know, oh, if someone's drowning, you don't rush into the ocean to try to save them. You know what I mean? You throw them a life ring and if they don't take it, then, right. you know, they'll drown you or, you know, that kind of shit. And, and being like, well, I don't want to chase someone out into a relapse. They might get me high, you know, and that fear, um, which nowadays I think is kind of bullshit. You know, I mean, right. maybe it's not best to follow you to a bar or to the fucking crack <laughs> house, but, you know come and knocking on your door. And I've heard people do that stuff, you know, 
oh, they went and knocked on the door and drugged the guy out of his house and all that shit. And to me, I've always been like, that is so offensive. Like, how could you do like that goes against what I feel like we're supposed to do. And I guess so I'm challenging some of those ideas yeah. in myself of maybe there is more I can do. And maybe there I should take more of a responsibility for people that I care about. Just sitting here picturing going and knocking on somebody's door, which is something I've never been a huge fan of myself. <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but it's always sounded weird. Yeah. I can picture it being belligerent and offensive. <laughs> and yet I can also picture it being super compassionate and loving. And right. it's like, I, it could go either way depending <laughs> right. on who's yeah. doing it. Right? right. So that's super interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I really don't know which way that goes, but I, I'd like to think at least I'm with you I, at this point in my life, I would very possibly go and knock on somebody's door at some point and say, Hey man, what, what's really going on? Like talk to me face to face. What's happening. I want to be here for you in whatever capacity I can. You don't ever want to come to a meeting again. What the fuck ever? Like, what can I do for you in your life? Right. Like, that's what matters to me. Um, and I did. So, you know, with, the guy that I had reached out to more, he was a ex sponsor. We were really close for a long time and he kind of relapsed and went through some stuff. And I had kind of put that out there a couple times with him. Like, Hey man, I don't care if you're clean. I don't care if you're going to meetings, whatever, you know, let's, let's catch up sometime. Let's get together sometime. And, and it just never really worked out anyway. Mm -hmm. it, Cause it, you know, it was fucking weird. Like he was a very different person than the guy that I felt like I knew and the guy that I was close to, right. like the guy had that he had become during his relapses and, you know, is using and trying to get back in recovery. It was a different person. That's so weird. Oh, isn't it was it? fucking very weird. <laughs> yeah. It's so strange. It's like talking to the same shell, but with a different soul. Almost. Yeah. It's and this was, I mean, uh, I mean, it was one of the people that I've been closest to ever in my life. Like we were that close. We were that good of friends. And right. he's the guy that drug me up to softball. So, <laughs> you know, and so we had years of time where every Sunday morning, all summer, we were in the car riding up together, talking about life, sharing, you know, man, I'd and, have been busting his windows out. I yeah. sat on the bench for you. Right. Motherfucker. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, that was just, there's oh you know nowadays i shouldn't say there's always nowadays in my life i feel like could i have done more you know what what could i be doing more because mm. it's so easy to make excuses not to do more right no i totally agree um i think moving on to the next topic though yeah. if you're done with that yeah one, I'm that, good was, with that was pretty good uh so i had the opportunity uh to to share my story on another podcast and it's not out yet when it is i will definitely post the link to it on social media so you can have a listen if you like, and also to support their podcast It's called podcast recovery, um, which is a genius name for search results, if nothing else. <laughs> um, and the guys are Eric and David, Dave, David, I don't know, one of those, Dave or David uh, and Eric. And so they had me on Friday night and I was sharing my story and it was definitely, I don't know if everybody else has as much fun as we did recording it. I was really nervous going in, but I ended up having a pretty good time talking to these guys. I do hate phone conversations. There's a little lag in it a little bit, um, but we had a good time. So I'm sharing my story. And one of the things that popped up was there was a time before I got clean that I remember coming to meetings. I heard people talking. I'd be waiting for my ride to pick me up and everybody that was at the meeting was talking about like going bowling or something. And I was just like, that's so stupid. Like, what are you doing? You're <laughs> right. dorks, right? Like, 
who goes bowling without getting high first or drinking first or something. And, and just the whole concept that I had no idea how to have fun without drugs or alcohol. Alcohol is a drug, but I like to specify <laughs> drugs or alcohol. I just didn't understand the concept. Like without those, how could I possibly have any enjoyment? And, and I look at that now and I know a little bit more and I say, well, it's because I, I disliked myself so much. And I had that core voice constantly telling me that I was awful at everything when I wasn't using. And so I needed that freedom and relief from that in order to have a good time. But it really bothered me back then that it just did not seem to be possible. And so I'm, I'm working with a guy now uh, a client of mine who basically expressed the same thing in our session the other day. Like he, for purposes beyond his control is not allowed to smoke marijuana right now. Right. And, uh, he's not happy about it. I'm fucking thrilled about it. We got got five months to work on you now and, and try to do something different. And he's miserable. He's fucking miserable with it. Right. His father was going to take him on a vacation, um, coming up here. And it was like to a tropical island. And he told his father, I don't want to fucking go. I can't even drink or smoke and relax. And I'm like, do you not? Uh, and I even said to him, I'm like, so do you think, what do you think people do who don't drink or smoke? How do you think they relax? And he's like, honestly, I have no idea because I can't understand it or fathom it. And I'm like, I don't know how to fuck to help you with that. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of us probably remember that time of not understanding fun without the, the use of drugs. But what do we do about it? Yeah, so immediately I think of uh, there's a documentary. I watch tons of documentaries and I've probably talked about this one before. It's called Happy. And it's just about that. Like, how do you find happiness and fulfillment in life? Like, what is what is the you know, how do you how do you find this happiness that everyone talks about? And so. The gist of that is, you know, it's not about the material things or escape from reality. It's it's some core principles, I think, that most people, I mean, again, not everyone, because there's always spectrums of things, but there's some core principles that they have found that when people have those things in their lives, they're genuinely more happy. And it has to do with, like, quality relationships and, and doing things they enjoy and and, you know, things like that. Um, it also, not to, not mm-hmm. to hold you up here, but when I ask him what he enjoys, it is smoking marijuana. That is the only fucking thing on the list of things he enjoys. And I, I, I don't know what to like, where do you go with yeah, that? And so for me, like it w- would be kind of, well, what else have you tried? Like what things have you done? Right. You know? And, and cause I didn't know when I got, I started getting high at 12 years old. Right. So everything that I did centered around getting high and then whatever the activity was. And as long as I was high, whatever the activity was, didn't really fucking matter all that much. I was in for whatever. Um, and actually one of my turning points of, of really one of the motivating factors to get clean. Um, we went on this canoeing trip. It was, you know, three of us, we, had been planning this trip. I love the outdoors. I love adventure. It was a three-day canoeing trip on the Shenandoah. You would kind of canoe down the river and stop and make camp and then, you know, canoe down some more. And it was awesome. Like, I was like, wow, it's going to be so great. And my whole plan in my head was the same thing. We get a bunch of weed and we'll get high and drink and, you know, it'll be great. 
And then, you know, it was the typical, like, right before we were supposed to leave, like, the weed connection fell through, and we were scrambling, trying to get some weed, and it fucking didn't happen. And I went on that trip, and I was miserable the whole time. And I was miserable. And it was an eye-opening experience to be like, wow, I am really fucking dependent on these chemicals, you know, <laughs> like that, that jarring reality slapped me in the face that right. I can't do anything in my life without being high. And, uh, so it motivated me to want to change. Um, even though I was still using then it did, it did spark something in me. That's right. like how powerful this influence of drugs had become in my life. Um, the other thing was when I so when I did get clean, I kind of had some general ideas about what I like to do, but I had never done any like serious outdoor. Like I was like, oh, I like the outdoors. Well, I had never really done fucking much real outdoors kind of quote unquote adventuring. You know what I mean? It was go to the state park, wander around the woods, smoke some weed, you know, laugh about some birds and stuff, and you know, go home. And you know that was spending time in the wilderness, right? And then, you know, after being clean, like I got the opportunity to take some different trips to different state parks to go to different parts of the country to see mountains and wilderness and fucking geysers and canyons and all kinds of different stuff. And then I realized, wow, I really do like the outdoors. But now this is actually what people talk about when they talk about hiking and going on sort of outdoor adventures. Um I realized that like I had that reawakening for sports. You know, I love sports. I had gotten away from sports, you know, as a using heroin addict, I wasn't really going to many sporting events. I didn't really follow fucking baseball or football very much. You know, they just, they weren't things that were really important to me. Right. Um, when I got clean, I realized I love those things. I really enjoy going to sporting events, live sporting events, going to hockey games or football games, um, doing things with my kids, you know, outdoor adventures or sharing those experience with my kids was fun. Um, but I didn't really know what made me happy until I stopped getting high. Hmm. It's interesting. I'm trying to think of like, what had you go on that trip and, and realize, damn, I'm dependent on these drugs and that sucks. You know, like my whole happiness and mood is dependent on this and that's terrible. And him to go on a similar thing and say, ah, man, I just, this is so dumb that people are keeping me from doing this. I want to go back to it. I can't wait till I can. Well, I think the trick for me was I didn't go into it thinking that I couldn't get high. I thought this is going to be the greatest trip ever, you know, and getting high was like a part of that, you know, and then when it wasn't at the last minute against my will, it, it was, I like, I still think it was a good trip. But I was miserable the whole time I right. went. You know what I mean? I, but I still remember it. Like, well, I remember it because I wasn't high the whole time, probably. <laughs> but, you know. Definitely stands out as a yeah, core so traumatic it stands memory. out. But, you know, it was the fact that this was going to be the greatest trip. And then it wasn't the greatest trip. And it's only because I didn't have weed that, you know, it's like, how stupid is that? Right. You know. Um, the other thing I thought, you know, as we were talking about that, I thought back to kind of back to the first segment we'll loop this around was like so with your son let's mm-hmm. say maybe it's an opportunity to teach him hey man go out there and have a fucking good time cheer for your friends you know just make the best of it like you're there fucking you know yeah it isn't maybe exactly what you want to be doing but 
don't go if if you go into it and think you're going to be miserable and you're fucking pouty and feeling sorry for yourself the whole time, then that's how you're going to feel for the whole hour and a half that you're sitting there. Right. But if you go into it and go, fuck it, you know, I'm out here to cheer on my friends and root for my team and I'm going to try to have a good time, make the best of it. Yeah, maybe I'm not getting what I want, but I can still enjoy it and have a good time. And there is a greater purpose here of just maybe it's not so much about showing up for the team, but it's about building that bond or those connections with people you know maybe some of those could end up being people that he's friends with later in life and hey remember we met on that basketball team you know you never know what yeah (laughs) little bastards um but you never know you know what i mean you don't know what that thing is that's going to spark that interest or or next new connection that we make in life and it's almost back to when you were talking about your your hiking when you were looking for the river otter thing. It's right. like if I go into it with an expectation and an idea that this is what it's supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to get out of it, this is what how this is supposed to reward me in these ways, we miss the bigger opportunity that, hey, maybe, you know, I can go into this with an open mind and just be happy and have a good time no matter what the outcome, whether I play 12 minutes or no minutes or, you know, 60 minutes, like it doesn't really matter like i can still have the same attitude and same approach to this no matter what that part looks like ah, fuck you for making sense out of my wife's <laughs> argument god damn it no that, that, i was on her side from the beginning I but... <laughs> knew you were. Uh, it, it does make a lot of sense and really like one of the things I, I will say that i hope he learns in life because it's a big part of life is not every minute is going to be spent doing stuff that's fun, right? Yeah. There are times when we got to like sit through the stuff that's kind of boring and kind of sucks. In fact, maybe the majority of the time that's what we do. But at 11, at least get some small doses of, hey, this isn't all that satisfying or enjoying, but I can still sit through it and make it through it. And then we'll move on to the next thing that is a little more fun, hopefully. So, I, and again, do I know that I can actually give him that? <laughs> Fuck no, I don't. But I think I can. I think I'm in the process of helping him see that, at least practice. Yeah. Wasn't that the thing that you told me, like neurons that fire together, wire together? So maybe if he goes out there and fucking cheers for his team and tries to just tell himself he's going to have a good time, eventually that's the neurons that wire. Like, right. you know, and the other part of that, and this is easier for adults, maybe for your client than it is for your son but you know negative experiences and and not having fun at things and you know all that's a part of life too and you know doing some shit that we don't like or that we have bad experiences with we can still grow and change and learn from that but again if we go into it just being miserable and closed-minded and sort of whatever you know expecting that we're just supposed to be happy all the time and if i'm not happy then fuck this i'm not doing it like well that's a bad approach to take to life because again as an adult you're going to be put in situations where you have to do things that you don't want to do or that you don't like to do or that aren't easy you know and as we experience those things we realize we can get through them you know no absolutely i'm currently listening to an audiobook uh called when things fall apart that's very much like a, a buddhist type teaching and they describe it as living in hopelessness, right? Which is really fucking whacked out for everything I've ever heard about wanting to have hope. And, and, you know, but their version is like, you don't want hope that things are going to get better. You just want to be okay with where things are. They don't need to get better. They're fine right now. And pains is just as enjoyable as pleasure and very, very odd concepts to us, but it will lead us into next week when we're supposed to have a recovery Dharma 
person come on and, and teach us all about that. So that should be pretty interesting. Yeah, that should be Buddhism. fun. Uh, you got anything else to wrap up today or? Uh, no, I think that was pretty good. Uh, the only thing I would say in closing is that, you know, some of those hard experiences of life, you know, have been the ones that I've learned the most about myself. But it doesn't mean they were still good experiences. You know what I mean? They were still bad experiences that I could learn and grow from that made me a better person in the end. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but it it is kind of true. And, you know, maybe your client needs to experience some of what he doesn't like to figure out what he does. Ooh, And I'll leave you all with that one. Have a great (laughs) week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.